Welcome to the Proud to be Profane podcast, your initiation into the ways of the square to resurrect the wretch and pee on the all-seeing pyramid of Illuminati enlightenment. And now, here's your host, Mr. Michael Joseph. Welcome to the Proud to be Profane podcast. Welcome to episode 35. This one's off the cuff and a little bit different, and it's not really for paid content. This is more about updating people on some personal changes in my life, and I figured that this was probably one of the better vehicles to do it with. There is a second hour that is actually free, but it will be unlisted and in a link that you'll have to go to in whatever platform or method that you are listening to this. If you are a subscriber, you'll automatically get it as you usually do, so don't worry about it. And if you are listening to this, there's a good chance that you came across the introduction video to my Schism 206 YouTube channel and wondering where the hell did all the content go? And I explained that in the simplified five-minute version, but I promised that I would elaborate for those who care to listen, and that's exactly what this podcast is for. And to sum it all up and synthesize it into a parable, if you will, well, I suppose those with eyes to see and ears to listen will understand it. So, taken from Mark 2, 21 through 22, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth from an old cloak, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And so the analogy would be, a combination of the new and the old can sometimes make a worse tear, whereas a whole new set of garments or wineskins is sometimes necessary. And that is the point about what has happened to my channel recently, and the centralization of the new and the old on my website, which is much more withdrawn from the public sphere, because I don't want to make any worse tears by combining these two worlds when there is an option to have the new garments or the new wineskins, at least as your primary focus. They must be separated on some level, the esoteric and exoteric, if you will, because sometimes the vast majority of people don't understand how those things go together, And in order to not enable new tears or worse tears to be made, well, this is simply the greater good of what needs to happen, at least for my own conscience sake. Welcome to episode number 35. This one is a bit different and will explain some of the changes that have happened recently in regards to my YouTube channel website, and everything moving forward, and everything that is encompassed with that. And if you don't really care about any of that, then you can just skip over this episode. Or you can get the short version on the intro video on the YouTube Schism 206 channel, and it's probably the only one you'll see at the moment. But chances are you're probably listening to this because of that video, so I guess it goes both ways. Alright, so let's summarize. First, there is content that has gone unlisted on the YouTube channel. I will explain the deeper esoteric reasons as to why. There has been a website update, a big overhaul with that, 
and I'll talk a little bit more about that. One of the more direct things to prompt that is a new full-time work venture that directly relates to promoting Catholic content, teaching, etc., albeit more in a unique or behind-the-scenes way. And I will be promoting that particular content on a brand new YouTube channel, and its namesake is actually included in the new intro to the podcast, Resurrect the Wretch. And I don't know how active that will be other than general promotion. Maybe I'll have some other people on for some interviews, but it's all going to be focused around Catholicism and is specifically geared towards Roman Catholicism. So obviously that's a big theme of the content ever since a few years ago and the occult Catholicism kind of took over. But nonetheless, there's still a lot of information that's relative to all these different viewpoints and deliberating all that kind of stuff. So this will be a lot different. And if you've been a fan of the work or the channel, but you kind of are a little like, I wish you just didn't become Catholic and that stuff annoys me, but I like the other stuff, so I tolerate it. Well, this new channel is not going to be for you. You're probably not going to enjoy it very much. Um, but who knows? It's there. It's available. I'll have links for you. And like I said, it's going to happen at some point. I don't know how busy it will be, and it might be three or four months before I'm able to start promoting the new work that I'm doing. So if you want to get ahead of the game, you can subscribe, but it will take a little bit for stuff to be released. And as to how much stuff will end up being released, I guess that really just depends on the organic evolution of it all. So that's the new wineskins or garments related to the analogy I gave in the introduction spiel. Now as for old Schism 206 content that is now unlisted, well, don't fret. It's still available for free. You can still watch Occult Science, Occult Catholicism, etc. For free and the same YouTube videos, they're just unlisted and you just have to know how to access them. And there's several different ways for this. One is I have a very generic blog that is mostly useful for references from the Occult Catholicism series, but the homepage does have all the links to every single YouTube series that I've done, and you can go to that link. Or you can go to the website, and the same is there. Every series is laid out. Just click on the image of the series, and you can go to that. But you will just be taken to the playlist, so you have to go to the individual videos through the playlist now. People can still share the videos, they can still be posted wherever, you can still save them, you can save the playlist. So obviously if somebody views your channel and they look at your playlist, they can find it. But on the whole, it's not out there for public consumption, it takes a little bit of work to get there, and there's a reason for that. And I will elaborate and give that reason in just a little bit. However, there is another unique way to access it. It costs a little bit of money, but it's really not that much at all. And this is on the website. I have two membership plans now. One is the initiate one, and one is the adept one. And really the only difference is that one has more content and costs a little bit more. So there's really no superiority complex here. You just have $5 extra a month or you don't. And the Initiate plan contains all of the old content, but there are some new additions. And this is all explained on the website, and I'll give links to that so you can read through or watch videos explaining it, but I'll just give the brief synopsis here. 
You have everything organized into separate web pages for each series. You can click on every single video individually to link to a video or an audio MP3 file. And you can have links to all of the playlists as well. So there's a lot more options. And I also did a new preface at the beginning of each series in retrospect to give some additional insights and basically warn against stupid things I believed at the time or, you know, issues or my uh, copious swearing <laughs> that would come out in certain series, which has since been very much toned down and I'm trying to uh, purge from my life more and more every day to varying degrees of success. And again, what is unique is that you get MP3 downloads, which you could not do before. You had to watch the YouTube video or just listen to it. And if you're using your phone, you're going to be eating up tons of data. So usually it's easier to download something. And all of the metadata is organized on iTunes. So if you open it up, it's not haphazardly labeled. Everything is very easy to access. And that goes for any of the newer Adept content as well. There's also an addition from the Adept content that I am bringing over to the Initiate content, which is the Day of Rest series, which goes through Biblical Catholic teaching through the New Testament, maybe beyond that, depending if we finish and people still want it to continue or I still want to continue it. But nonetheless, it goes through roughly two chapters per video in depth, and we get into the tradition's opinion and interpretation on things, expanding upon different church fathers and how they look at this or that, and then I relate all of that in a more peripheral way to other Schism 206 research, modern-day social engineering, how to apply these things in a bit more of a practical level or a psychological level, and that holistic way of looking at it with the esoteric and exoteric world in mind. And I do that through the whiteboard style like you saw with occult Catholicism, so it's very organic, in-person, and every Sunday there's a new one released. Hence the Day of Rest series. And the other things with the initiate plan, you get partial access to the forum. So if you don't like YouTube comments that get hijacked by trolls or it just gets really chaotic really quickly, there is a forum thread if people want to engage. And that is a place that I will engage with people. It's a lot easier for me to centralize it all there. Obviously, I stopped answering YouTube comments a long time ago because it's just way too much. Way too many videos, way too many things happening, and you are one person who only has so much time. And do those things actually end up being very productive in the end? I usually find that they aren't, and they just turn into a bunch of arguments, and I'd rather refrain from that if possible. But setting that aside, and I'll maybe explain some of my comments theory a little later on, uh, you can do that, and I'm certainly available in that forum. It's not very active at the moment right now, but... People could change that if they'd like. And lastly, all the old podcasts are on there with the first hour of the new podcast, along with miscellaneous stuff like links to interviews and all those kind of goodies. And that is all for the whopping price of $1 a month, which is paid $12 yearly. So if you got 12 bucks, you can have all that for the entire year. And it's a lot more easy to access and you have the other perks and some of the newer content with a day of rest. So every week you get something new 
And if you ever wanted to go through the Gospels with some guidance from a more traditional perspective in terms of Christianity or Catholicism, then it might be very useful for you. And I'll describe the process of that and how I approach it a little later on in the episode if anybody wants to know. And the Adept Plan contains everything in the Initiate Plan, plus more new stuff, but I won't rehash that here. You can go watch some of the videos. And I might explain the Catholic Alchemist series a little bit later on in this podcast, but for now we'll move on. So that is $6 a month, $72 a year, and there's various ways you can pay that. But for a very simple way to express the Day of Rest series and the Catholic Alchemist series, they're basically two sides of the same coin, the same unification. And we can relate that to first century Christianity, where the Greek and Jewish cultures are being merged together as per Christ's command and the formulation of the church. And so the Day of Rest is probably a bit more for the Jewish-minded folk and the Catholic alchemists a bit more for the pagan-minded folk if somebody's on those polarities and hasn't really come fully into the unity and might have some sort of, uh, I guess, dialectical tension between those basic backgrounds and what they kind of represent in a broad sense in relationship to the ancient world and the various battles of the New Testament apostles trying to deal with all of these problems and the Jewish superiority versus the pagan superiority, the meat eaters versus the veggie eaters, and all of the dialectics that go with that, trying to bring it into the unity of Christ and the church, at least from that perspective. So moving on, there are some peripheral things on the site. I'll just mention them real quick. I do have some music on the site. It's just from my old band. I'm trying to finalize some things, create an album, sing the vocals on it, and it's just really a personal project. It's not something I'm trying to make a big deal out of, but people like alternative rock music. Then there are some samples there and more to come at some point. And I'm really just trying to centralize all these things. I have my old guitar covers that were on YouTube now unlisted as well. If anybody cares, that's where you can find them. Uh, nothing that I get too excited about these days. There are many moons ago and... It's really not a top priority to try to promote guitar playing of me 10 years ago or more and doing it decently but not great and with terrible camera resolution in most cases. And hopefully, uh, relevant to the listeners of the podcast, if I'm able to get the vocals done on the new album, they'll finally hear the full song of the Proud to be Profane intro with lyrics, but you could listen to the full instrumental if you want on the website, if anybody cares. Um, you'd have to be really dedicated to do that, uh, to just care about the instrumentals. But nonetheless, it's there. I also have some voice acting related to a project called XRL7. I've been posting some of those things on the community blog post of my YouTube page. And all of that information is there on the website if anybody cares about that and they like uh, I guess, what are they called? Cyberpunk animation series. Um, and I do some voice acting on that and singing on particular songs. And there's going to be a mini EP released with five songs that I'll be singing on uh, for a particular character. A very heathen character, but nonetheless, uh, there's ways to transmute it and look at it in a uh, more righteous way. In kind of a don't do what they do kind of way, right? Um, so anyways, that will all be on the site and, 
I'll be updating that as it goes. I also made recommended reading lists. Some people have asked me for those, but it's kind of that mixed with a bibliography, and I just basically give my two cents on each different work. And there's a ton of books for just history, um, some Catholic aspects or authors, and conspiracy stuff, um, and some of the occult books and stuff like that that relate to everything that I've been through. There's also some Catholic resources if people are interested in that. There's just a bunch of different channels or different people you can listen to. I have a compilation of resources that have been useful for me to understanding this or that, so it's there if other people want to know. And there's also links to some particular YouTube playlists as well. Uh, I still do the astro readings, again, from the Catholic perspective. If anybody is Catholic and they're like, you can't do that, that's not allowed. Well, again, see the end of occult Catholicism and the Catholic Alchemist series is basically predicated upon all this stuff and Thomas Aquinas' view on the said influence of the stars. And that's all very affordable and cheap and not something I do a lot of, but it's there if people care to engage with it nonetheless. And lastly, I created an audiobook for James Perloff and his Truth is a Lonely Warrior work. And it was the first time I ever created an audiobook, and boy, I learned a lot, and I certainly learned what not to do in future audiobooks, and that will be a big part of what I'll be doing um, in the new wineskins, if you will, audiobook narration. I'll explain more about that as it comes to fruition, and I won't get into it too much in this episode in regards to the logistics, but rather... Uh, the whole reasoning and kind of, I guess, philosophy or spirituality behind it that relates to my decisions rather than the actual works themselves because those things are still off in the distance a bit, but that will be what's coming up on that new YouTube channel uh, if anyone's interested. Moving on, I am deactivating my Twitter account and be using the YouTube community post instead and actually, when new podcast episodes come out or whatever, even though they'll be unlisted, if you subscribe to the channel for all updates and you see the community posts, you'll be able to know when the podcast episodes are up. So it won't be that much different if you just do the full-on subscribe. So that's like a new Twitter because, one, I don't even like Twitter. After I started using it, I just got really annoyed with the whole Twitter culture, not for me. I'm not saying anybody who participates in it is, you know, something wrong with them. I'm not trying to poo-poo anybody else who uses it. But for me, it's just, <laughs> uh, I find more problems than solutions with dealing with Twitter from a personal standpoint. So I guess if you want updates, then that's the new Twitter. And it makes sense because I got 10,000 plus subs right now. And Twitter, I have like 100 plus, so I might as well go to where the more people are and are going to be accustomed to if uh, there's like a basically a Twitter function built into it. Um, so I guess I can be thankful to YouTube for making that function happen. So that wraps up all of the logistics about what's happening, what's going on, and what's to come. Now I'll talk a little bit about my philosophy behind it all and... The reasons why I'm doing these things as it relates to, well, many things, society in general, how you deal with the culture and the changing times, and spiritual viewpoints, what you think is right, and not just right in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of everything holistically. What is the greater good? And that's really 
the whole reason for me unlisting the videos, even though I'm sure it's going to be annoying for some people, or even if I feel uh, a bit conflicted by the decision myself, when taken in context of the whole of everything going on, I think it's the right decision to do. And obviously for me, it's a big deal. But for most people, they might not really care at all. But <laughs> if they do, that's the point of this podcast. So uh, here you go. This is for you. So first point of philosophical musing and social commentary here and personal interminglings with it. Uh, I don't deal with YouTube comments anymore or Twitter comments. I used to, um, especially YouTube. I used to answer everything. But it got overwhelming after you create hundreds of videos, and now it's 500 plus, um, and your channel grows from, you know, 500 subscribers to 10,000, uh, you get a lot of comments, and it's a holistic thing. There's the element of dealing with haters and trolls um, versus people who have legitimate criticisms that are true and, you know, are good to address. But more often than not, they're just a bunch of cranky people, and then that derails things, and that just, I don't know, just screws up everything for everybody. And even though I appreciate the kind words that are on the comments, too, um, there's another weird element of that where you can kind of read that and just, I don't know, get big-headed about it, just subconsciously, even. If you're trying to focus on not, um, you know, it, it's... You do a certain amount of work and people appreciate it. You also feel weird about like the the byproduct of fanboyism, and I don't want to enable that. Um, so there's like a weird relationship I have with all of that. And you know, I'm not saying anything other than you kind of ask for it when you put stuff out there. But in terms of the greater good of dealing with all of that, I just think that more harm comes than good than engaging with all these comments because of the way I deal with things because, you know, I like to give thoughtful responses, but a lot of the times it involves things that are a little personal. And I think that for the personal individual asking, it's better to bring up some of these things to relate more, but I don't necessarily want those things being seen for everybody else on YouTube. And so there's this penchant or this inclination, especially my generation or people after to just put everything about your life publicly and I just seen that create way more disasters than anything else. And so I would rather engage with people on a personal level. And I always tell people they can email me, contact me through the website. I engage with them there. And that's obviously for free. Um, but if people pay for the membership, I engage with them on the forum as well. And uh, yeah, so I am engaged with people. I just can't deal with the system of YouTube and the gigantic Ouroboros devouring serpent of it all that just creates all these little battles and just gets out of control really quickly. And so I've noticed that smaller channels, you know, when you have three, four, five hundred subs, the discourse on the comments is usually pretty good as long as, you know, the the people producing the comments or excuse me, the uh, the content are pretty level headed. But then at some point, once it gets bigger and bigger, it just blows up into something that becomes this uncontrollable demon on the whole, especially when you address particular topics. And it's not just my channel I'm saying that about. I'm just saying that about all these other channels and uh, even people I appreciate and like, and I, I think that their channel is good. Um, 
still the, the comments of everything just can turn really ugly. And I just, uh, you know, it's just dealing with that. It, it causes more problems in your own life where I think there's the, a joke, like a little meme where a guy is staying up late at night and his wife's like, honey, why don't you come to bed? He's like, I can't. There's someone wrong on the internet. <laughs> Meaning, I need to stay up all night and correct people on the internet. And what kind of life is that? So my point is that this is what it kind of breeds as a culture of just sitting on the internet all day, engaging with all these people that you barely know. And I'm not saying that that can't be useful or that there's no place for that. But when it's kind of unrestricted, it in, it puts you in a place where you're neglecting your actual duties in life and people you're, you're wholly responsible. And obviously, you know, being back in Catholicism, there's an ordering of what is prioritized in your life and your duties as your role in life. You know, if you're, if you're a husband or whatever, you're, you know, providing for the family. Well, if you're distracted from doing that for all the people who depend on you because you're arguing on YouTube all day, I mean, what the hell is that? Right. Um, and I think that that's a big problem. And so I don't want to, succumb to that or engage in that. And I also think about what about back in the day when like, say an author wrote a book before the internet, if you wanted to talk to that author, you had to go to the conference they were at or the book promotion, or you had to do snail mail to them and maybe they'd write you back. You didn't have instantaneous access to all of these people. Now you do. And we kind of expect that everybody needs to respond to every single thing. Otherwise they're avoiding questions or tough questions or you know, they're uh, being sneaky or something like that. And it's just, in my opinion, it just breeds way more problems than anything else. When just 20 years ago, nobody behaved like that. Nobody expected those things. But now all of a sudden, that it's just such a part of our life, everybody just kind of demands that this is what people do. And, you know, <laughs> if that's what people want to do, that's fine. But that's not, uh, that's not for me. So that plays in a big factor of all the things that I'm doing moving forward with the uh, unlisted stuff coming into play as well. But nonetheless, I still allow the comments on the videos. So, you know, 99% of my videos have comments. The ones that don't really need to have comments, like if I'm, you know, <laughs> promoting a video and just showing logistics, then what does that matter? But if it's, you know, content or whatever, people want to dispute it, they want to rant, they want to get mad, it's there for them. I'm sure there's tons of those already on there throughout various videos. If people, they can get mad or thank or correct uh, me to their heart's content on there, um, don't say I don't allow that. If something doesn't post your comment, I'm not responsible. YouTube censoring it. I can't go through and allow every single comment. If it means that much to you, make a video yourself and explain it. Um, and that's the other thing, too. It's like people think that they their comment demands attention. Where it's like, well, you got a camera probably on your phone or whatever. Make your own response and, you know, do what you got to do and people will hear you and go ahead. <laughs> I don't care. Um, now, obviously, people contact me. That's a different thing. And many people have. And I would also say that, um, you know, this has filtered out a lot of bad stuff. The people who have contacted me and, you know, said, I disagree with you on this or why do you do this or this makes me upset or whatever. They've always been respectful in a way that it never ends in some enmity where like, oh, I'm not talking to this person ever again or don't email me again or anything like that. It's always been a respectful conversation despite 
you know, maybe some intense emotions coming out at times and correspondences. And honestly, the things that have been like the most serious contention is uh, veganism is one of them. And I don't even tell people that they, you know, don't be vegan. I'm just giving red flags against it and why I think it's a problem. But I don't say that you can't do it. Um, so and that ends up being tied to some of the, you know, the anti-patriarchy stuff. And I've had a few of those and, you know, they ended fine. And maybe that person has changed their mind since. I don't know. Uh, and then I've had people emailing me trying to convince me that Roman Catholicism is heretical and made all these innovations and I need to become Eastern Orthodox or Protestant or whatever. You know, that's kind of expected, but, uh, you know, none of that turned into anything. But I find that when you do it in YouTube comments, boy, it turns into bad things really quickly. And ultimately, I think this is a, a telling thing where are people making comments oftentimes because of their own vanity and they want to get somebody to get cranky and be like, oh, look, I made that guy get all cranky and that, that must mean I'm special. Or, um, you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of weird ego behind it, I think, subconsciously and a lot of little tricks. And I noticed this when I was in the uh, <laughs> the music world, and you try to promote music. And you might, uh, you know, upload something on the internet. I got a SoundCloud song. And then someone will hop on your SoundCloud song and, and like it, right? And uh, maybe make a generic comment like, nice tune, bruh. And so what is the real reason they're doing that? Do they actually like the song? Or are they expecting, anticipating that you're gonna be like, oh, somebody's interested in my music. I guess it's respectful for me to go check out their music and you check out their music and it's something that's so contrary to the type of music you made. It's like, how can this person like my song? Maybe they do, but is the likely scenario that they don't give a crap about the music you posted. They pretended like they did because they want you to come and check out their stuff. And so when people go on YouTube videos and they start saying, you're wrong, you're, you know, teaching heresy, you're teaching false things or whatever it is. Oftentimes it's in conjunction with like, go see this, uh, go, go look at my channel. I got all this stuff that will tell you what's what, um, or they kind of make another researcher out to be a God and be like, Oh, go listen to this dude. And they just paste you a bunch of links to somebody else. And it reminds me of like Amazon reviews where like, you know, when a reviewer goes on there and it's like, Oh, this product broke in five minutes, but I purchased this other product, which was amazing. And it's just, the way it's formulated just doesn't seem sincere and genuine. And my point is, I see so much of that happening that I, I can't say that it's not genuine, but I get the spidey sense feeling <laughs> that there's something else going on here. And so that world is completely different from the world when people email me personally and all the problems that I find that I have with that public world of open thread sourcing and forum and debate just magically go away or at least are contained. The the Ouroboros serpent of chaos is contained when you deal with people personally one-on-one -on -one, when no one else can read your emails. And then maybe actually that weeds out a certain amount of insincerity. Just my opinion. So, point is, if you have a question and you asked it on YouTube, I probably won't see it, but you can always contact me. Um... And that's just an unfortunate byproduct of, you know, dealing with a greater good that I just don't want to touch that crap anymore um, and haven't for a while. And it's better for your mental health. And I am just not designed personally in terms of, you know, my 
my general disposition and how I engage with stuff. I am not designed for the Twitter two-sentence battle. I can't sum up all my thoughts into two sentences. You know, I can make a broad point that's important, a fundamental issue, but I'm the kind of person who likes to support that with supporting evidence, and it's really hard for me to be that kind of fire sign person, if you will, and just say the broad macro t- uh, concept and move on, even though there's a bunch of people who are going to you know, attack this or that. I'm the kind of person where I say a statement and I already am thinking in my head, what are all the ways that people are going to misconstrue, uh, misconstrue this statement? And I'm already kind of refuting that in my head as I talk. And this is why I'm just not really built for that kind of thing. Um, some people are, but that's not me. And that's why I refer to the, the more fire sign minded people that when they, they have all that stuff in check in the good way, they end up being a lot more effective and they can deal with the people who are going to object to something by, um, you know, going at a detail they didn't address, even though that person has addressed it some other time. And then, you know, they can just move on and not care about that where I'm the kind of person it's easy for me to get hung up on that and want to get lost in the details. People who have been watching my content for years probably know that. Um, so I'm not like an E Michael Jones or, I don't know, somebody akin to him where they can just go on a show, do the basic talking points, do the basic debates, and then move on to the next one and forget all about the one before. Um, for me, it's it's a much more uh, detailed and nuanced thing. And, uh, you know, when I do talks and interviews and stuff, I don't really enjoy them that much. I mean, there's an element that I enjoy it. It's fun. It's nice for this and that. But, like, the whole process of it is just kind of draining and it reminds me of back in my musician days where I like playing live shows and I felt comfortable on stage for the most part uh some shows more than others some I felt completely fine some something was going on it kind of sucked but like I found that I didn't love that lifestyle and I kind of realized that man I'm just not built to be a live musician I don't like driving around I don't like traveling but you don't really admit that because you just think, oh, I'll get used to this or that, but you don't, and you're just not built for it, right? So there's a certain amount of developing skills that maybe you're not as good at and you can get good at them versus some things you're just, you're fighting against your own nature that's not tied to any sort of morality. I'm just talking about an inclination and and what's a talent or what's a detriment that doesn't have any moral context to it. How you engage with that will apply a moral context, but You know, it's like, you know, if I'm a tall person, I'm going to be able to have an advantage of this or that with certain things. That doesn't imply that I'm going to be a moral person or not a moral person. And that's what I'm talking about here. So that's my two cents. I usually look at things in a deeply psychological analysis sort of way. And that is not conducive for the Twitter culture. I like to analyze the Twitter culture, but in terms of engaging with it and dealing with three sentence response or whatever... I don't want to be there. Oh, I made a response on Twitter. Let me make eight responses to the response so I can fit everything. Like, that's just absurd. And so <laughs> that's literally what I'm trying to avoid here with all this stuff. And I'm really trying to get away from and remove myself from on the Internet, generally speaking, especially when it comes to my own personal research and content. So summed up, some people are built for that world of online debate and discourse through comments and forums. And some people aren't. And I'm the latter. So... That's all I got to say about that. 
Well, maybe it's not all I got to say, but moving on to a different topic, but similar overlap in themes, I think there's a certain intellectual pride that is uh, a temptation, something that is enabled by this online discourse and debate culture that we all find ourselves in. And this intellectual pride is certainly not something that I'm immune to. I'm trying to pull myself out of situations that lend me to succumb to that. I think that that's the point I'm trying to make. It's like, uh, I guess, you know, the biblical concept where, you know, if, if your eye is bad, pluck it out. It doesn't mean literally pluck out your eye, but don't put yourself in that situation. If something is bad for you, take it out of the equation, at least until you have control over it. And so I feel like I'm, I've been successful at that various points throughout my life when I had a drinking problem or a smoking problem. I had to withdraw myself from the situations that I had a hard time resisting. So when I worked in a kitchen, I smoked like a chimney. I had to stop going out on cigarette breaks with all the other people because it would be so tempting for me to be like, hey, can I buy a cigarette? I don't smoke anymore except for right now. <laughs> and it doesn't really work. Same thing with uh, drinking. Oh, yeah, I don't smoke. But now I go out drinking and I get drunk and I'm going to go buy a pack of cigarettes and smoke them all in one night. And, you know, oh, just one night I went on a binge, right? And so these things don't really help. And so for me, quitting both of them at the same time and then stop going to bars, uh, I had to do that for a while. And then eventually you get up to the point where you can go out on that smoke break and everyone else is smoking and you're like, well, I've lived long enough without that smoking that I don't desire it anymore because I know what it does to me and I don't do it. And then you have the resistance factor and actually that makes you a lot more inspiring to others because you can actually resist in instances where other people might want to quit smoking, but they keep putting themselves in those situations that you were in and they can't really get anywhere. Same thing with drinking. I could go to a bar and it was nice because I could leave whenever I wanted because I could just drive home because I hadn't drank anything. Um, so there's a whole lot of tangents that that can go into. I think there's a deep psychology that goes with all that stuff, but it's all very applicable to this. It's just that if uh, this is more of an intellectual vice, it's kind of interesting that usually quitting those bad things leads to a greater intellect, but then you have another layer of now that I learned a few things and I'm trying to not focus on going out and drinking and partying and maybe learning some sort of uh, historical topic or a theological topic or whatever it is, then you have the next ceiling you're going to hit with intellectual pride and how that can be the next attack that comes at you. So just because you quit drinking and smoking doesn't mean the attacks against you don't keep coming. It's just in a very different way. Or maybe perhaps not different way, but different set of clothing. It's the same fundamental things that drive it. And so the intellectual pride of internet debate and bro-offs that are in the intellectual sphere or seemingly intellectual sphere, you know, it leads to the polemics of calling someone stupid, right? Everybody has this ingrained, especially in the West, uh, need to feel smart because that's what's valued by our secular atheist society. And then that kind of transitions over into spiritual stuff when it comes to deliberating what theology or history or, you know, uh, debating whatever it might be books in a canon. Was this guy right? Was that guy right? This Christianity versus that Christianity, or let's refute the pagans or, I'm a occultist, so I'm going to refute the Christians, all, all the things that go with that. 
Well, there tends to be a crazy projection factor, too, where people are doing something themselves and they project it onto all these other groups. And they might get something right and they might see beyond projections or dialectics in certain cases, but then they fall into another one and they get stuck. You know, you might be able to call out left-right political dialectics of like Bush versus Obama or whatever, but then when you get into the truther realm, sometimes you don't see them when it comes to something like Protestantism and occultism, like we talked about in occult Catholicism. At least in my opinion, there's a, a dialectic there. And people will project those same dialectics onto Catholicism, Protestantism, or whatever it might be, right? But I think some are a lot more obvious than others. And that's what ends up happening, and it gets very frustrating and you realize just how ineffective you are at fixing any of it <laughs> by putting your voice out there on the internet. You can really impact only a very small minority of people. Um, and that's what I've learned. And that's a humbling thing. You know, you're not in control. And I think it relates very much to the idea of God, quote unquote, hardening people's hearts, where you're actually in a weird way working against God sometimes by trying to force um you know, some sort of uh, opinion or, or proof to refute something. And I'm not saying it's not worth it doing that. Obviously, that's a, it's important to do that. But when does that hit a ceiling where you're actually working against yourself and going against divine will, if you will, uh, no pun intended, and uh, you're actually hitting that intellectual pride, even in a passive way, and that's the one that's more dangerous, where you're able to talk with humility um, and perceive yourself as such, or give that feigning of it when it's convenient, but is it a true inner humility that only you can really attest to um, outside of, you know, other, uh, in, in conjunction with other creatures, other humans observing you, right? And so this is why we're not supposed to judge the hearts of men, but are there particular fruits and things that are, you know, okay, I, I'm not supposed to judge this person, but I could tell something's not right and what's going on. There's a crazy inner turmoil and projection. I don't know why that is. I don't know why they might not see it. And you still have to deal with it. It's still a reality, but you aren't the all-encompassing authoritative person on what's going to happen to that person in the grand scheme of things and, you know, beyond the realm of, uh, you know, our life here on Earth. So the point is, we all have judgment functions that we have to engage in, and they're important. But when do we put that on a pedestal where it doesn't belong, and we elevate it beyond the reality of where it's supposed to be? And I think that that really relates to this intellectual pride. And what I wanted to do was read a passage from a Mr. Timothy Flanders book, Introduction to the Holy Bible, for traditional Catholics, because I think that he really hits home with this, but he's also quoting church fathers to do it. And I think that that's the point. You're repealing to wisdom that's higher than yourself, but you're expressing it in a way that's unique to you and maybe will be useful to people of your times. And that's really what I'm trying to do moving forward. So on page 80, he talks about the vice of curiosity. One of the snares that especially affects young single men is the vice of curiosity. So what is that? How do you define it? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas defines it as the curiosity is a vice wherein a man seeks intellectual knowledge more and more for its own sake, and he neglects of the duties of the state in his life. I'm kind of paraphrasing some of this here. And a curious man becomes attached to the pleasure he gets out of knowing more facts and knowledge. 
and may also take pride in himself, thinking himself better than the others because of his knowledge. He may take pleasure in the praises of men for his knowledge. This is especially exacerbated on the internet, where young men can display their knowledge easily without immediate consequence. And when I was reading through that, I really took that to heart. And I thought, you know, I try not to do that, but it happens a lot. And so I'm trying to remove myself a little bit more from those instances, just like I talked about removing yourself from instances where you might start smoking again until you get strong enough to be able to do it um, despite all the temptations around you. And in fact, you see the temptations and they make you want to not do it more. You want to be able to get to that point. I don't think I'm at that point yet. And so that's really kind of a central thing about everything that this podcast is focused on, or that's at the root of a lot of this and all of the decisions moving forward. And it might be a little indulgent to make a giant podcast episode on all of this, but it's really that maybe this will help other people see how this works in their life in this vice of curiosity in the age of the internet where online knowledge and battles over it is certainly a temptation. It's not that it's not important to do that, but you got to pick your battles and know when the right context is to be applied. So continuing, he says, This curiosity can then lead to self-righteousness based on their knowledge. We may call it a spirituality of being correct. And I'm fighting for the truth. Christ is the truth or whatever is the truth. I'm a, a, a truth seeker. So therefore, you keep throwing out that word truth. But is the actual truth that you're doing these things and stating maybe true things and facts, but for all the wrong reasons. And that's actually the truth. And I'm going to read a passage from Paul in a little bit to uh, <laughs> appeal to scripture alone to be authoritative on it for those uh, minded folks. But I think it just applies across the board to everybody, no matter what your viewpoints are. And it says, it is an attachment to the pleasure of having the truth and thinking oneself better because one has the truth. One may have the truth, but this is not because one has merited it. This is a grace from Almighty God, and I think that's the key, in spite of our sins. Do not offend the divine majesty by using the true faith as a pretense for this sin of pride. So the understanding that God is going to give you the graces to be able to understand things to begin with. And so if you're going to also hit that wall with people and try to bash them over the head with logic and all these sorts of things... You hit a point where the battle becomes fruitless, even if you're saying true things, even if you're destroying their position. Um, how much do you continue on with that? And when does that actually become a detriment? And you realize that maybe your intentions for doing it have uh, derailed from the track into something, quote unquote, sinful or prideful. And I say this because I feel like I have succumbed to this recently. And the ironic thing is I planned to do this very talk or episode before I succumbed to that thing. So it's not like I didn't know it, but this is just a helpful reaffirmation. So continuing on, we'll just uh, wrap it up here. Uh, last bit of this book. Do not offend the divine majesty by using the true faith as a pretense for this sin of pride. Now I know people will define the divine faith in different ways, whether it's Roman Catholic, some version of Protestantism, Eastern Orthodox, or even if it's a Masonic viewpoint or a Jewish viewpoint or Muslim or whatever it is, uh, I still think that that general paradigm transcends all of uh, any errors or issues that are found objectively in those viewpoints uh, from the uh, the real source of wisdom beyond us and our 
subjective colorings of it. So, let's go to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to elaborate on this and how it relates to dealing with other people in these debates and battles and how maybe, perhaps, in God's eyes, there's something more important than your esoteric knowledge and how many facts you know. So, a digression on charity. And I point out to you yet a more excellent way. If I should speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have charity, I have become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So even though how eloquently I may speak truths and impress a lot of people, if I'm not doing it in a charitable way, then I'm going to sound like brass or a, a nasty cymbal, right? An old rusty cymbal, at least in the eyes of the Lord or the people whom he is aligned with. And if I have prophecy and I know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith as to remove mountains, meaning I have all the faith alone, right? Yet do not have charity, I am nothing. And if I distribute all my goods to feed the poor, meaning if I'm a philanthropist, and I deliver my body to be burned, meaning I'll sacrifice myself for that, I'll, I'll let my own body succumb to bad things to give to other people in charity, or excuse me, uh, goods, but I do not have charity, it profits me nothing. So maybe I'm a philanthropist and, you know, my body is emaciated because I care so much about giving to the poor, like perhaps some liberation theologians and modern Jesuits, but you don't have charity in dealing with others. And you're nasty and snarky and acting more like an SJW liberal. <laughs> then what good is all of that social justice, you know, giving to the poor and UN agenda? So it works on both sides of the coin here. The New World Order liberalism or the uh, online theological bro, right? The theological bro-offs where instead of frat boys arguing about which chick they're going to have or how many Beirut cups they can, you know, sink in a single round or whatever it is. Now it's, oh, we're going to argue a bunch of high theology. Um, but if you're not going to be charitable in that instance, even if you're professing to uh, adhere to the morality and disdain the, that former heathen lifestyle, well, that means nothing if you don't have charity. So we have to define what charity is. And Paul tells us, Charity is patient, is kind. Charity does not envy, it is not pretentious, it is not puffed up, it is not ambitious, it is not self-seeking, it is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice over wickedness, but rejoices with the truth, and bears with all things, and believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So if I was to offer a personal interpretation of this, it ain't dogma, but it's based on it, well, you would kind of have to be patient and kind that doesn't say that you can't be frustrated with things, but you don't let that whip out your tongue and start attacking the person in an uncharitable way, you know, attacking their physical appearance or their intelligence or things like that. You could say, I think that idea is silly or absurd. I mean, Christ even says those things. That's foolishness. But you don't need to call the person, oh, you're a moron if you believe that, right? That's a completely different thing, but you're able to say the same fundamental truth that you should just rejoice in and not rejoice over the wickedness of attacking somebody because of their weight or, you know, the way they speak or anything like that. Or even if they're just not knowledgeable on something and they got something wrong, 
there's a way to point that out without trying to attack them as specifically being an idiot or a moron, right? And I know that's very hard to do for a lot of us. We all struggle with it some more than others, but nonetheless, it's in here. So you probably should take it seriously, especially if you're considering yourself to be some sort of Christian. Because all of your theological knowledge or all of your knowledge on history or the church fathers or whatever it is, or, you know, if you're not in the religious sphere, anything, that's worthless, according to Paul. If you don't have charity, who gives a crap if you can't treat your brother with some sort of respect, even if you disagree with the ideas, even if you think the ideas are absurd or quote unquote adversarial or in error or whatever you want to call it. But you don't project that onto the person. And you certainly want to be careful not to project onto others what you're doing yourself and you're swallowing the camel and straining the gnat or attacking the speck and not seeing the log. And so you should just be able to rest in the truth, even if other people don't accept it. And similar to what Christ commands the apostles when they're trying to bring back the lost sheep of Israel. Well, when they reject you, just, you know, dust off your feet, your sandals or whatever, and head on out. So maybe perhaps that means don't keep battling over the same crap over and over and over again. Uh, Or at least... Don't do it consistently and let things air out for a while, you know, three, four, five, six months later, a year later, then it goes back to it. Obviously, if they keep bringing it up, then you got to act appropriately. But from your end and what you're projecting out, you know, maybe that's the case. And I think that that's what's more useful in terms of people reacting to comments and YouTube stuff and posting on forums and, and whatnot. And everything that that encompasses. So we'll wrap up here with Paul saying, Charity never fails, whereas prophecies will disappear, and tongues will cease, and knowledge will be destroyed. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I felt as a child, and I thought as a child. Now I have become a man, I put away the things of a child. We see now through a mirror in an obscure manner, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I have been known. So there abide faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these, is charity. So I find that interesting. Faith, right? Well, it's not really faith alone if you don't have charity. So if you look at somebody like Martin Luther, does he seem like he was a charitable person? I'd say look at the Lucas Cranich cartoons to uh, see the ultimate conclusion of the trajectory of his life where he commissioned those to be made (laughs) with a complete lack of charity towards the Catholic regime. And I'm not saying there was no charity to be lost amongst the Catholic looking back on the Reformation, not at all. But I'm talking about a pillar of that faction um, that was preaching faith alone, but obviously here charity is even greater than faith. So I don't really understand how that would be consistent. And then on the flip side, when you hear things like Christ saying, uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Is there an ordering here, right? Is there something that's a primary importance, but it doesn't neglect the other things like other things support those things, right? They all work together holistically. So if you just have charity, but you don't have all these other things that are important as well, is that also an issue? But charity should be your focus, right? 
what do you focus most on as a central thing? And then how do you extrapolate upon other things or support that? They should all work together, right? Like a trinity, perhaps. So something to think about and something that has been on my mind in dealing with how to deliberate all of my own personal content and research and knowledge moving forward and then how that gets distributed to the world and also does it matter about how I might be enabling some of these things to happen, right? Um, because looking back upon all the older Schism 206 content that's now unlisted, I feel very differently about it, even occult Catholicism. Are there things in those series that enable stuff that I kind of cringe at now? And I have a certain share of responsibility in that, right? Now, that's my own personal situation, but at the same time, I'm the one personally making the decisions to deal with it. So whether people agree with that or not, I'm ultimately accountable to my own conscience and how I engage with that. So what that's all leading up to is simply this. Moving forward, the new wineskins, if you will, the new pursuits, allow me to support and play a passive role, a behind-the-scenes role, if you will, which I think I'm actually more suited for, to help take other people that I think are much wiser than me or a tradition that's much wiser than me on the whole, that I'm only wise in whatever ways because of that tradition. It has nothing to do with me. The only thing I can do is maybe take parts of that and help rearrange it in a way that might be useful to people that is a more uh, relatable thing or contemporary thing because of people in your generation or, you know, your times, right? But ultimately, I'm not responsible for that body of knowledge. I'm benefiting from it. So that's taking things that are sacred and not using them in profane ways or enabling other people to use them in profane ways to the best of your ability. Now, obviously, people's free will comes into it and they can take things and run with them in all these different directions. But are there certain things that enable people to do that more than others, right? This is the idea of how much do you protect something versus allow something. And I think that that really varies depending upon the context of the times. But that's not the expense of the foundational truths or things that you're claiming to be built upon. So if the primary focus of my life which is full-time work that is tied to supporting a family and all of my duties in life or all the things that I'm aspiring for, especially looking to try to have children and, you know, be that person supporting all that. Well, that in conjunction with supporting church fathers, the tradition of the church, and all these other people are out there who have much more knowledge and reach a lot more people in ways that are much more profound than myself. I would rather do that than have my own personal little uh, project where I'm researching and sharing those things and trying to focus on that being of a primary importance, not just in my own life, but in the grand scheme of things. I don't think that what I've done on my channel or my website uh, is all that relevant and, and, and greater than any of those other things I just mentioned. So that's really part of the point. So when I look at the old Schism 206 stuff, or even things that I do on my website, I think about these things, and really, ultimately, what it is is this. How I ever got into this was simply knowing something wasn't right with the world in a very big way, and then you ask yourself, well, what does that mean? What do I do about it? And do you feel like you have an obligation to do something about it or know something more about it? And that all defines you as a person on some level. 
And so I started looking at all kinds of stuff, right? Very open-minded person, always have been. People might not think that now because of being back in the Catholic Church and be like, how can you be involved in something so close-minded and dogmatic? But (laughs) there's problems to being too open-minded as well, where you don't want your brain to fall out or you don't want your soul to fall out either. And so I listened to a lot of stuff on YouTube and saw a lot of angry battles in the comments and took part in times in those battles and Probably uh, looking back on it now, I just shake my head and be incredibly embarrassed by half the crap that I've written on the internet and YouTube comments or forums or whatever. And, you know, that's just par for the course with anybody. And so eventually you decide, well, maybe I should start reading some books on my own. But the question is, do I have the time to read these books on my own and other people don't? And if I do have the time, are there things that I'm sacrificing for that knowledge, right? For my own personal gnosis. So these are things that often go unconsidered, I think. And again, perfectly understandable. But when you start reading things on your own and then you start realizing, holy crap, a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing by the so-called truther community, (laughs) well, it makes that that term for that community seem like such an oxymoron uh, because there's so many things that are not Correct. Despite having a lot of very fundamental truths that the quote unquote matrix world or exoteric world is hiding from you. Right. So you get put in an awkward position where all the standards you're judging the mainstream media by where you're like, oh, they lie. They do all these things. Uh, There's all these hidden agendas. And it's a collective regime, though. Right. At least you can identify a coordinated collective and point to particular organizations. It's a lot easier to point to specific bad guys on the whole. Um. In a broad sense. But when you get into the alt media, if you will, now all of a sudden people are trying to define who are those bad guys on a more esoteric level, right? And that's where it gets crazy and varied. And this is where people's personal carryover from that matrix, uh, excuse me, matrix world comes in where you're still kind of attached to some things. You might not realize it. In my opinion, the enlightenment principles are a huge factor in this. People are so attached to the Enlightenment principles and the alternative media, they have no clue that a lot of the things that they're complaining about, again, my opinion, are things that they're still attached to and are the fruits of those ideologies, but it's disconnected because they're on a dialectical battle where they're attacking the left-wing version of it rather than uh, seeing the right-wing version still being connected that they might be more attached to. And then this gets in again to what I call the uh, dialectic of Protestantism and occultism or masonry. People can disagree with that, but I think there's a lot of evidence to show that. And all the dialectics in between. And I wanted to do a whole other show on dialectics kind of in light of 9-11 because those are two uh, pillars that have been destroyed and put into a an unholy unity, if you will. Um, but maybe that will come in the near future. But setting that aside, you're in this place that's too open. There's too many possibilities. And then that actually becomes the box you get put in where you're so open, you start neglecting all of these routines and duties in the exoteric world at the expense of your family and people you care about. And then you start getting withdrawn into paranoia and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that that can't be necessary or can't have a greater good, but ultimately I think that that is part of the sinister nature and trap of the alt media. And again, this is a generality where I'm not saying the alt media in and of itself is bad. I'm saying that there's a culture that dominates it, that lends people, that enables people towards these things. And it is very 
destructive and, and nihilistic, even if people are feigning a spirituality or some sort of afterlife belief in it, just in practice, in works, if you will. And ironically, I think a lot of it is a result of certain Protestant mindsets that divorce works or the material world from the spiritual world or vice versa. So long story short, I started researching all the things people probably know me for, right? Looking into Freemasonry, Blavatsky, Pike, Manly Palmer Hall, Aleister Crowley, the whole kit and caboodle. And then eventually applying that to all this weird, you know, occult stuff, gematria, astrology, symbolism, and everything that goes with the occultism and hermetic alchemy and whatever. So we got occult science, JFK, New World Order astrology, and the occult crypto stuff, right? Now, what I found was eventually, you know, as I've described before, being caught between those pillars of Protestantism and Masonry, where I agreed with a lot of things about Christianity, and I thought that their arguments on this or that destroyed the quote-unquote zeitgeist version, but at the same time, there were things that I just found contrary to human nature uh, in in a good way, in, in a, a moral sense, in just a way of dealing with your everyday life that just destroyed that and brought about this nihilistic apocalyptic further where uh, fervor where nothing really matters it's very gnostic despite saying well if you just have this faith and all this crap's going to happen everything's going to be destroyed uh but you know magically if you just believe in jesus you're going to be okay it doesn't really matter what you do um and i found that to be very problematic and honestly really kind of suicidal inducing like just really depressing uh it bred a lot of bad thoughts in me uh, and just despair um so there's that aspect of it but at the same time the the overly ikey new agey we're going to beat this false system by elevating consciousness had a lot of problems too there was an optimistic delusion so there's kind of like a a saturnine despondency versus a jupiterian optimism and both were had had issues, right? They weren't unified in any way that I found to be true, and I was just lost and confused. And so, ultimately, I started getting emails here or there about, you know, occult science or this or that. And my intention was never to enable those things. I was trying to be neutral about it and not be, you know, not give too many opinions and be like, okay, well, Madame Blavatsky sounds like an arrogant, you know, I'll... I'll refrain from the nasty word here <laughs> and um i wouldn't recommend anybody gets into theosophy or is initiated into freemasonry but at the same time i didn't have any grounding to say that they shouldn't do that or maybe there couldn't be a decent uh you know byproduct of that for some people i don't know i just didn't know i was just kind of still sort of neutral in a way but i erring on the side of caution um and you know, just, uh, I guess, uh, how would I put it? Just, uh, saying, well, who am I to say that somebody should or shouldn't do this, right? No real basis for it, even though I wouldn't do it. And that's kind of where I was with a lot of things in life. But that hits a ceiling when you start realizing that people are emailing you and they got way more into this occultism because they learned about it all in your channel. And even if people want to say that, well, you know, everyone makes their own choice. Everyone's got free will. And I certainly believe that you're enabling parts of those free will into things that you have a, a share in a responsibility. And even if it's like, you know, if you're going to make a percentage, 
80% of it is them. And then 20% was you setting up the dominoes for them, right? You're still setting up some dominoes. And as long as you can admit that and try to rectify it, I think that's good. But I could have kept moving on making videos about, you know, weird symbolism and world events and the alt media community loves that stuff, right? I'm not saying that those things can't be useful to bring somebody to a, an element of questioning something or spirituality or taking yourself away from an, an atheistic worldview. I think that that's a good byproduct of it, but I think it also, and on the whole, is going to enable a lot of bad things because you're still going to be trapped in a lot of those things that I think that are hugely problematic. And so when I started looking at the Catholic perspective, it started unifying all those polarities that I was at odds with and felt really bipolar with in a way that was just very divine. I, I just like, how is this missing from so many people while at the same time explaining so many things? Even if you don't like the way they're explained, just on an objective level, if I plugged in the Catholic equation into all of this data I'd compiled, it just, boom, illuminated everything, for lack of a better word, right? The real illumination event, at least in my opinion, in my experience. Other people obviously disagree with that, but it just all these things. And it wasn't just history. It wasn't, you know, it was just everything in my life, every facet of it. It wasn't just A or B or C or D. It was like the entire alphabet. And it was just a letter unknown that was synthesized into all the above. Now, I think certain letters had a more prominent role for me. You know, the things that fall into category F maybe are more important to me than they are for somebody else, but they're still all part of this collective whole. And that's the unique subjective response to it right and for me one of the big things was it made me understand history i never understood history before it was always one year out the other i could be looking at like a long ass physics equation part of my french and be like what the hell is that i have no clue all of a sudden the long physics equation made sense to me because the catholic version of history brought together all these weird things i sensed as like red flags and all the other versions of history I got, whether it was mainstream alt media or any Protestant Masonic history, like whatever it is, everything synthesized in the exact same types of propaganda against the church in a way that I can never describe as anything other than divinely orchestrated. <laughs> and so the history part of it was a big deal for me because all of a sudden something I was so stupid at my entire life just started to make so much sense to me in a way that I was just kind of baffled. Like, how how am I able to, 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 to know this something that was just complete Greek to me before and now feel like I, I can say with confidence there's these patterns there that are just always there. And it wasn't anything special I did, but other than that viewpoint just gave it to me. And I think that maybe that's what people call a grace or a gift that you didn't really merit, but because you were honest enough about certain things, you were lucky enough to have it given to you that, gives you a certain amount of peace. This isn't about a merit that, oh, I'm putting together information that's going to impress people. It impressed me in the sense that it wasn't about me. It was about something greater. And that's really what it was. It was a very personal thing to me that only I could really understand. And I think that that's ultimately at the heart of it, that you can never convince people on pure reason, facts, and logic alone some people will place those things on a much higher level of importance and that will be more relevant for certain people, but it doesn't apply across the board to everything. And so ultimately that is something that needs to happen and you can't 
force that on anybody. So to wrap up hour one, which is extended 10 minutes here, um, as I said, hour two is going to be free because this is just me giving opinions. Um, so there's a, there'll be a link to it, but anybody who's signed up for the podcast will just automatically get it as usual. Um, but nonetheless, point being, there's a lot of things out there in the old content that I just think is enabling, whether it's the old occultism, enabling people to get more enamored with that and neglect their responsibilities in life and whatnot. Even if there's some things that have been beneficial for people and they've emailed me and, you know, they ended up maybe coming back to Catholicism because of it or something. But mostly it was occult Catholicism for that. But at the same time, occult Catholicism was a venture into a lot of stuff that I don't want to also breed alt-right kind of stuff against Judaism in ways that I think is just wicked and evil. And I see that happening, even though there is a huge element to obviously conflicts of the Catholicism and Judaism. And I'm not, that's obviously a central theme to a lot of things, but it also, there can be like this sort of J pill gnosis where the more you understand about, you know, an influence of Jewish subversion here or there from particular factions. Again, this isn't to say every single Jewish person, but the, 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 the enmity on the whole is, is real. Um, throughout history, and I think they admit that even on their side. Um, that can lead into another kind of Gnostic viewpoint where it's like, oh, if you're not, uh, if you don't know about like the reality of World War II and what the real history is or whatever, like you're not really a Christian or a cat. Like that stuff is just a bunch of crap to me. And in my opinion, that's where that. I just understanding of charity comes into place. I see a lot of uncharitable behavior come from people who get too deep into the esoteric Catholic stuff. And I know that occult Catholicism is very enabling of that. Um, so I don't want to enable that either. Uh, even though I think there's a lot more true things in that series than there are in any other stuff that I had. And ultimately the whole research has been my personal journey where I'm just looking into stuff and sharing it because I felt, Hey, there's a lot of people saying things out there that, are very contrary to things that I find in, in some very basic research, but you kind of got to know what to look for, what to look at, right? So I figured, okay, there it is. And that's the whole story about the series. And then it, I research pretty in depth and that's what I like to do. But at this point, uh, there's elements that, you know, enable bad stuff. And uh, I succumb to a lot of it. And so I'm trying to move forward in the right way. And so that's why I want to bring it all to being more withdrawn, and I believe that the people who need to find it and need to see those things, they will, because if God is all-powerful, there's nothing I can do about promoting my series or leaving them up on public. That's not going to matter in the end. Um, but I do think it's going to matter in preventing a lot of things from happening that are, I think, greater evils rather than greater goods. And I know that some people have reached out to me personally and said that they either converted to Catholicism or came back to it because of something in my work that was a, a large component of it. I'm thankful for that, but I don't use that as some sort of badge of honor other than that. Well, it wasn't me. It was the information and it was just rearranged in a way that maybe it was useful for them, but they would have gotten it some other way. But it, luckily, you know, I was able to participate in that and I feel happy about that. But I also don't feel very happy about the enabling of a lot of that, the bad Ouroboros I see out there. And so that's really a large part of what I'm doing with withdrawing the content and then 
with the new wineskin stuff, I want to be able to promote that in public and not have to have the other stuff out there to be found along with that because it's going to create a lot of confusion. And there's a lot of people on the Catholic side that I know aren't going to understand a lot of the stuff that I talk about, especially, you know, the occult stuff and transmuting things, stuff that's tied to the Catholic Alchemist series. And I think that's a greater good to put that away and that that's there for the people who want it, but it's such a small minority of people. And so the last thing I'll, I'll wrap up before I go on to the second hour where I want to give some analogies and expand a lot more on this stuff. And like I said, it's free. If people want to listen to the second hour, I'll have a special link and whatever you're watching in the description, you can go to that. Um, and, you know, all this esoteric stuff, it, it affects such a small minority of people. And not that that's not important, but I don't want to make that out to be something greater than it is. And really, that's what encompasses the decision to move forward with everything that's happening. And so the reason I wanted to bring it all up is not so much to like think that people, oh, they, they must be so concerned with what I'm doing and why this channel is going dark. It's more about expressing the things that I mentioned earlier from Tim Flanders' book or from the Apostle Paul about really thinking about the knowledge aspect and why you're doing what you're doing and when you're doing it and, and uh, how that affects other people in your life, not just yourself or people thinking you're super smart because you've read a bunch of stuff and you can talk somewhat eloquently about it and give a few insights that are decent and useful. Um, that's all fine and good, but I need to contain it to things that don't enable stuff that I think can create a greater evil despite some good things that are attached. So that would be my last wrap up on it. Um, and we'll see you in the next hour. If you want to hear me uh, give some more analogies and more expansions upon some of these deep uh, psychological things attached to how we interact with each other on the strange world of the internets. To gain access to the second hour, head to www.rockstaresoterica.com and become a member to gain all access to all content at all times. Or to purchase individual episodes such as this one, head to schism206.podbean.com.